In 2010, Peter Shumlin was elected governor of Vermont, promising a single-payer health care system that would provide universal coverage in the state. Four years later, political and economic constraints forced him to abandon that initiative. I'm Stephen Morrissey, managing editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with John McDonough, a professor of public health practice and director of the Center for Executive and Continuing Professional Education at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Professor McDonough has written a perspective article about the demise of Vermont's single-payer plan and the outlook for more radical health care reform in the United States altogether. Professor McDonough, as you write in your article, the financial prospects for Governor Shumlin's plan deteriorated quickly after he took office, in part because there was a decline in anticipated revenue from Medicaid and from the Affordable Care Act. So what precipitated those declines? Was there any way to anticipate this? Vermont was in new territory in 2011 and 12, attempting to devise a plan to move toward a single-payer plan in the context of the Affordable Care Act. They are the first and the only state that's really considered this in a serious way. And several things changed. One is that the state's anticipated revenue from the Medicaid program changed because the state's per capita income rose over the past several years and will be rising in the future. And under the Medicaid formula with the federal government, the higher your per capita income, the lower the revenue you get for your participation in the Medicaid program. So that was number one. Number two, there's a piece of the Affordable Care Act, sometimes referred to as Section 1332, which allows states to, beginning in 2017, craft an alternative system for their states and take all the money that would otherwise go to the state through the ACA and use it for their alternative plan. And Vermont was first in line in considering this. The initial estimates of how much money would come into the state through Section 1332 dropped from 2011 estimate of $420 million down to $106 million estimate in 2014 after state officials had many serious conversations with the federal government. And so because of those drops in revenue on both of those sides, then the amount of money that the state then would have to raise from higher taxes on the citizens of Vermont rose substantially. And that, more than anything, significantly triggered the political concerns in the state of how much the public would be receptive to making this enormous and unprecedented transformation to a single-payer system. You write in your article that in the months before the administration scrapped the initiative, there was extensive public disagreement over single-payer health care. Was there initially greater support for the plan, or was it always a contentious issue in Vermont? The plan arose because Peter Shumlin, when he was running for governor in 2010, made this a central part of his campaign agenda to move the state toward a single-payer system. Remember, in 2010, it was right in the wake of the passage of the ACA and even before it. The public opinion polls in the early stage indicated support and lack of understanding. In the subsequent four years after the governor was first elected, the governor's administration did an immense amount of work in terms of analysis and financial projection. There was a lot less done in terms of educating and informing the public. And so by the spring of 2014, one poll showed that the public was sharply divided, 40% in support, 39% opposed, and 
21% undecided. And that was actually reflected in the results from the governor's election in November of this past fall when Peter Shumlin bested his Republican opponent by 46 to 45%, and his Republican opponent campaigned stridently against the single-payer plan. Governor Shumlin was re-elected governor because the election went into the House of Representatives where he received overwhelming support from the Democratic majority in the legislature. But so we have those two indications in 2014 of a sharply divided public in terms of their opinion and attitudes towards it. And again, not a good sign to go into what would be one of the most strenuous and difficult legislative challenges imaginable to get the legislature to agree to the financing of a single-payer plan. Vermont voted, the legislature and governor agreed in 2011 to embark on this plan, and many people assumed, well, they voted for it, so it's going to happen, but they voted for it and left the financing of the plan to the end of the planning process. And so what people have been waiting for over the past several years was to see the financing plan, and in particular, the level of new taxes that would be imposed on Vermonters to pay for the plan to substitute for the loss of private health insurance premiums. And when that financing came out, that is ultimately what convinced the governor that it was time to step back and stop. To what extent do you think the rocky rollout of the Affordable Care Act itself and the continuing controversy about that law contributed to the failure in Vermont? I haven't seen any hard numerical evidence in terms of polling, but certainly the Vermont health exchange as part of the ACA experienced significant difficulties on a par with those experienced in Massachusetts, Oregon, Minnesota, and Maryland. And certainly it raised concerns about the capacity of state government to be able to take on management of the entire healthcare system when they've had such difficulty launching what is by comparison, a much more modest challenge of creating a workable website and health insurance exchange. And so I think it gave people some pause and probably affirmed for some people that it wasn't feasible for the state to play this significant a role in running the overall health care system. Some years ago, you advocated as a legislator for single-payer health care in Massachusetts. What kept Massachusetts from making that move? Massachusetts is widely considered one of the most liberal, progressive states, and by comparison, it's true. And yet still, I recall when I was a state legislator in the early 1990s, I took a turn as being the advocate to move the state toward a single-payer system. And I came to the realization after a number of years of trying that it was too big a lift in terms of a transformation for Massachusetts, at least, to make and that I could continue to get cheers and applause from perhaps a quarter to a third of the electorate that really understood it and really believed in it. And it was very hard then to move to convince people who didn't like the idea to change their mind or to get the attention of people who otherwise didn't understand what it was about. And most people, frankly, don't have a very clear idea of what's involved. So it became very challenging. We continue to see in Massachusetts a lack of 
clear, meaningful support. Just this past November in the Massachusetts gubernatorial election, in the primary election on the Democratic side, one of the three candidates, Don Berwick, the former acting administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the founder of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement here in Cambridge, campaigned mightily in favor of establishing a single-payer system here in Massachusetts. And in the Democratic primary, which is about as progressive a vote as you're going to find across the electorate as a whole, Don Berwick came in third out of three candidates. Again, not a sign that there is a groundswell of support and desire for this across even the sweep of the Democratic electorate, never mind the electorate as a whole. So despite all those dark clouds, you say in your article that legislators in many states continue to file bills to establish single-payer systems. How close are they coming? I know there are many states, including Massachusetts, my own state, where people continue to file legislation. Legislatures have many, many more bills filed every year than make it through the process into law. And there are fervent true believers out there all across the nation who strongly desire a single payer. They would prefer it on a federal level, and they can't get that. They would like to try and do it as Vermont tried on a statewide level. And I can't think of a state where next to Vermont, after Vermont, there is a real readiness and political viability to move ahead. But that doesn't stop members from continuing to file those bills every single session and hoping that some kind of lightning strikes. What would have to change for a state to succeed, do you think? I really believed that if there was a state where it made sense and where the political formula seemed receptive, it was Vermont. It's a relatively small state of about 600,000 people. It has a very progressive legislature and governor and electorate. And it has a lot of cross-border issues, but is much more intact than you find in a lot of other states in terms of its health care market. And it just seemed like an ideal place to make this the laboratory of democracy, as just as Louis Brandeis said, for the attempt to try to do a single-payer system in a single state. And so I look at how much work they put into it, how hard they tried, how seriously they took the endeavor and then looking at the moment of truth, and they just realize it's a bridge too far. I can't think of another state where I would expect to see any serious movement in this direction at any point in the near future. And it makes me, frankly, doubtful of the strategy of trying to do this in a single state. People who like the state approach refer to how the Canadian healthcare system started with the adoption of universal coverage for hospital services in the province of Saskatchewan back in the 1940s. And that is the idealized model. I just am unclear, unsure, doubtful how relevant that model is in an advanced, developed system like those in the United States and the 50 states at this point. Final question. If it's not possible in the states... Do you see it happening federally? Do you see changes that might make it possible on a national level? No time soon, given the political environment. There were people in the Affordable Care Act process, particularly Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont, who were deeply desirous of 
doing single payer and Bernie tried very, very hard in the legislative process to have a roll call in the United States Senate on doing single payer and former Congressman Anthony Weiner from New York tried to do the same thing on the House side. And neither of them were successful in even getting a roll call vote on the issue of single payer so people could declare themselves one way or another. And particularly the current environment with control of the House and Senate being in very conservative hands, single payer is not even, I would say, on the radar screen right now. I would say this as a thought for the future. The United States federal government now manages three enormous, and perhaps four or five, depending upon how you count, but three enormous health insurance programs for different parts of the American public. So we have the Medicare program, and you could slice that in half between traditional fee-for-service and Medicare Advantage. You have the Medicaid program, and then you have the enormous subsidy structure under the Affordable Care Act. I suspect at some point in the future, I don't know whether it's 5, 10, 15 years, it's going to dawn on some people the inanity of running three enormous bureaucracies just for the purpose of providing the same service to different segments of Americans. And I could see at some point, particularly as employer coverage continues its slow decline, which I expect to continue that there may, in fact, be some political leaders, one would hope perhaps starting on the Republican side, who would say, you know, it's really silly to run these three programs, and it's time to consolidate and put these together and achieve efficiencies in terms of management and bureaucracy and potentially financial savings as well to create a more coherent and logical system. I could see 5, 15, 20 years from now people still fighting it mightily because they would then fear the oversized influence of a federal government that has its act together. But if there's a way forward, if there's a direction, if there's a pathway, that to me is the one that I think is most feasible and likely to occur, though no time soon. Thank you, Professor McDonough.